The Fed makes it clear that rate cuts are not on the horizon in the near future. Plus, is this the worst housing market ever for new home buyers? And is Zillow's plan to ease the pain, putting themselves at risk? Your market moment starts now. Welcome to the Market Moment. This is Matt here with Eli and John. Ben, mm-hmm. how are we doing? Doing great. Doing great. Eli's already made it known before the podcast. He does not want to talk about the weather. So, Well, hey, we can we can replace that with football. Football. There we go. We had a few college football games on Saturday. A lot coming up this Saturday. Opening weekend for the Hogs. It's yeah. a good time of year. <clears throat> it's a great time of year. We're tied for first in the country. We're tied, we're tied for first. Let's party hard now. <laughs> exactly. And enjoy it. <laughs> It'll last a week or two. Yeah. Oh, we should go three and zero. Oh, let's hope, and then then it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. I I know no one cares. I haven't looked it up yet. Do you know where OSU? Stands yeah, no, you're Oregon right. State? No one cares. So oh, it's about Ohio on. State, <laughs> Oregon State, no, the OSU. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, the Beavers. <laughs> oh, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad <laughs> when you get when you get when you get confused with the Oregon State Beavers. So, <laughs> just saying. I know there's, there's orange in both. I think this is. <laughs> Maybe dangerous because there's probably quite a few Oklahoma State people here in Northwest I know, Arkansas. That's true. We better but be careful. Anyways, the Oklahoma State University. Yeah, we'll it's hog like country, that. so we yeah. can say that. So <laughs> let's talk about the week, the market last week. S and P was down 0.8 percent. Nasdaq up 2.3. The Dow was down 0.4. With 94 percent of companies reporting earnings, both S and P profit margins and sales per share are above the historical average over the long term. So if you take a look at these two charts, guys, we've got offer, operating profit margins here first. Um, any initial thoughts other than just, you know, the numbers are still pretty decent, mm-hmm. pretty good. I mean, above average. Don't underestimate <clears throat> the power of American companies to hold their profit margins. There was there was a podcast we were talking about that said uh, words very similar to that, that the American companies have been through an inflationary environment, had supply chain issues, had a lot of problems thrown their way. Yet, if you look at this chart, if you if you watch this on YouTube, the chart will be on there. This is from uh, Charlie Bellello, who works at Creative Planning. This is, we have held profit margins strong through some of the really hard times to operate a business. Mm-hmm. So don't underestimate American companies and how they can hold profit margins. I yeah. agree. It's fantastic. <clears throat> it's almost too good a news when oh, it comes to pessimists. <laughs> oh, and so as you and we'll get to the Fed here in a little bit, right? Um, but the the economy keeps growing, and sometimes good news can lead to. And it's kind of like the S and P going down two weeks in a row. <clears throat> is this a good news? Is bad news for the market because we are worried about what the Fed is going to do if we keep booming like this? Mm-hmm. And inflation doesn't go down to that two percent mark, right? So that's the that's the yin and yang. There's always a yin to every yang. Yeah. When you look at the companies that are driving the markets today, especially today, it's your <clears throat> big technology online companies, right? Your Facebooks, right. your your Metas, your Googles, your Al- uh, Apples, your um, you know Nvidia's. It's they're all related to the online space in some former fashion Mm -hmm. and those are just different businesses than we had 20 years ago right right? and they can be ran lean um in a lot of ways you can do more with less right they're not um asset heavy necessarily and so 
um, yeah, I mean, companies are able to maintain profit margins that's when an, maybe historically it would have been really hard to do that in a different kind of industry or business. That's an interesting thought. So that historical profit margins aren't necessarily the best gauge to the new current. Yeah, I don't think so. I think there should businesses. be an expectation that that um, companies, <clears throat> is, at least in certain industries and sectors of the market, like they should be able to run at a healthier profit margin just because of the businesses that they're mm-hmm. in. Like they should be higher margin businesses. And like you don't expect a, um, you don't expect an electric company to have the same margins as you know a Meta. Sure. Right. And so if you're looking at those big growth data online tech companies, I think our expectations should be higher for them to have higher profit margins. No, I agree. <clears throat> I use Meta as an example. Uh, I was looking at Meta charts yesterday. I was a little nervous about Meta, and I think if it falls below a certain price point <clears throat> and we're close, <clears throat> they're kind of in a shoulder phase where they were at a spot, they went up, they went back down to that that spot. Um, if they break down below, <clears throat> it's not good on the charting, Yeah, which means nothing right now. But this is the going through the 2000. I started the business in the 2000 financial crisis when Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Impeccable yeah. timing. Well, you know, when you go back to that time, actually, it was a good timing because I, I didn't have any clients at the time. So nobody went through it for with me. Yeah, you told, <laughs> and you I told everybody, none of my clients lost money. None of my clients lost money during your the tech market crash. And your performance for the next five years. <laughs> exactly. It was great after that. <clears throat> and then, but, but back then I was listening, you know, of course, to all of the rhetoric and the and everything. And I just remember in early 2000, the, the thought was, technology stocks were on a different plane. They had different, you know, we're in a new world. Things were changing. It was different. And you didn't have to worry about priced earnings. You didn't have to worry about all the, the normal things because we're in a new world. Mm-hmm. And then it crashed. Right. So as you say <clears throat> that, Matt, I just, I, I'm worried that you have just set off in motion a terrible thing. Yeah. Well, timestamp this. <laughs> timestamp it. So the second chart is the sales <clears throat> sales per share growth, kind of same trend, just showing it's above average. Mm-hmm. Um, so companies are hanging in there. You know, they're not knocking the cover off the ball and setting records necessarily, but relative to what we've gone through, relative to how quick <clears throat> rates have increased, oh yeah, they've hung in there for I think longer than a lot of people expected, or you would have thought um, before this. Mm-hmm. You know, if you knew all of this was coming. So, last point. Um, to Eli's point, the U.S. stocks, U.S. companies are so resilient in comparison to the rest of the world. We are the leader, and that's the beautiful part about being sure. the capitalist, wonderful, great country that we are, mm-hmm. that we can we can get through some of these tough times. But I still think there's a little bit of headwind there. You know, the pessimist side of me is I'm losing some steam on my pessimism, <laughs> which is also a reason why we should be scared. <laughs> but I mean, I'm losing a little steam because of the strength of our companies in our in our country. It has nothing to do with, like, we like to tie politics to it. We like to pot tie China's well-being, which does matter, mm-hmm. and politics, especially like tax policy and so on, obviously matter. But our companies' profits are really the only thing that matters on a company's whether they're going to go up in stock price or not, whether the market's going to fall apart or not, it's profits. Sure. Pretty simple. Yeah. And if they keep going strong, and regardless of what the Fed does, regardless of what COVID does to us, regardless of what supply chain issues, if they keep going strong, then you muddle right through it. And the yeah. US, U.S. economy is proving once again that it's that we're resilient. Resilient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you look at like one of the basic, one of the most um, basic ways to value a company, right, the discounted cash flow model, 
it's the current value of future cash flows, right? And it's how much is this investment, is this company going to spit off and make from a profit cash flow perspective in the future? Um, and so, yeah, that's the driving force for what a company should be valued for right. and what the stock price <clears throat> should do. And things get out of whack sometimes, and the stock can trade way ahead of that, right, can lag. But over time, that should self-correct to, um, you know, kind of what it should be. Right. So uh, really good conversation on that. But let's take a listen to, you know, Jerome Powell uh, gave a speech last week. Let's take a quick listen to what he had to say about inflation and where the markets and the economy's at. 2% is and will remain our inflation target. We are committed to achieving and sustain, sustaining a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation down to that level over time. Although inflation has moved down from its peak, a welcome development, it remains too high. We are prepared to raise rates further if appropriate and intend to hold policy at a restrictive level until we are confident that inflation is moving sustainably down toward our objective. So Powell says the economic backdrop is more favorable than a year ago, noted a resilient economy comes with risks that inflation could reaccelerate. So we saw this, we've seen this in our history, right? Mm -hmm. Where inflation subsided, kind of cooled off, we weren't aggressive enough with it, and then it reaccelerated and took off. Um, so that's definitely a risk. Mm -hmm. It's happened before, so there's no reason to think it couldn't happen again. Um, thoughts on what Powell said and where we're headed? That's exactly what we expected Powell to say. We expected him to say the economy is resilient. We expected him to be pretty hawkish in his outlook moving forward, not saying that he's going to continue to raise rates at a crazy pace, mm -hmm. but continue to raise rates possibly Potential. one more time yeah. and not <clears throat> cut them anytime soon. So the, the market... If you looked at the market's pricing of expectations for interest rates before really this last earnings season, they were expecting the market or the Federal Reserve to cut rates in the first quarter of 2024. Now that's already pushed back. And that just that goes to show market expectations are all just a bunch of guessing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Powell, several years ago before the interest rate, you know, bonanza happened, interest rate rising bonanza. If you remember, he had the in a similar speech was saying that they didn't expect to have to or didn't anticipate having to raise rates that fast. It was going to be okay, and then they wrote it was the fastest pace in history. So, I don't take necessarily what he's saying. Here's what I think the most important part: even if we raise rates, even if we are if, if he's pushed to where he has to, it's going to be very small. Maybe maybe in November they raise rates twenty five basis points. The market doesn't really care about that anymore. I mean, it's kind of like it's built in. It's after going up 500 basis points, yeah. a quarter point is no big deal. And I don't think it matters. And you saw that on the market. The market, while he was talking a year ago, the market was wildly moving mm -hmm. when he was talking. Any kind of interest rate expectation or change. Yeah. yeah. It didn't matter what he said, positive, negative, the market would go one way or the other wildly, yeah. right? It, even last year, Jackson Hole. Yeah. Whatever. Jackson yeah. Hole was a huge day last year. Exactly. And then this one, we saw the market try to move, but it really didn't move that much. Mm -hmm. And it, so it didn't matter. My, I guess my point, like the stuff that it used to matter a year ago, and that goes back to the point of him saying that the market is better looking today. You know, the economy's looking better. I think things are calming down on that front. Inflation's still going to be there. Last thing on that, interest rates, you know, we talk about interest rates rising and it's very bad for everything. We're getting into a housing conversation here in a second and we're talking about inflation being but if you go back in history 
the history of our country, the entire, you know, go 100 years back, where actually interest rates are about where they have historically been. In yeah. fact, we're probably a little lower <clears throat> than historical, I'm guessing, on average. Uh, inflation is not that far off historical average. We're not really that out of whack. We were just... We were the, out of whack for the last 15 years. Exactly. <laughs> for 10, 15 years, we've been the... Lull we've been asleep. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's, this is not... Maybe that's the point. It's not as dramatic dramatic as i thought it was going to be even mm -hmm. and we're we're fighting through it and the next future moves the market's baked it in and we're going to move on well i would love to get in this kind of range whether it's with rates or whatever and not have the wild tales of you know the the extremes right, right? not right. have the zero one percent even though that's great for a period of time but like if you have that you're going to have to have the other extremes Right. To counter, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I've always said, I've said it many times, like, I just generally believe in, like, reverting to the mean. Right. And if you've got a hundred-year history on something, I think over the next 10, 20, 30 years, you're probably going to revert back to that hundred-year, you know, average exactly. over time. And so if you have a decade of 1% rates, you're going to need the higher extreme to offset that. And so it would be it'd be fantastic to just kind of get in a and a normal-ish range and just be there for a while. Stay there for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it'd be great for everyone. Just resetting expectations on how you value companies. Um, you know, we're going to get into housing affordability. What does that look like? Some of those things have been really good for the last 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's not necessarily the most comfortable thing in the world for, the, for that to change. Right. Mm -hmm. And not be that um, attractive, but... It's also not it, it, It's also what's potentially needed for the long-term health of the economy, the consumer, right, and everything. Yeah. So, so getting into that housing affordability, are we in the midst of the most uh, unaffordable housing market ever? So this chart is from Ben Carlson. Um, Ben's got a podcast that some of us listen to. He's an advisor, works with the Ritholtz Wealth Management up out of New York City, and. This is just showing the inflation-adjusted monthly mortgage payment from 89 to 2023. And you just, I mean, you look at the chart, kind of speaks for itself. We're, mm -hmm. we're at or near all-time highs in terms of and the And coming monthly. off of at or near all-time lows over the yeah. last, what's that, from 2008 to <clears throat> 2022? 2013-ish, yeah. it looks like they kind of bottomed from a monthly um, perspective, because that's when rates were low and the housing market had not it was affordable. Was, yeah, it had not mm -hmm. taken still off. Course. Yeah, it actually hadn't recovered fully from the 2008. Right. Prices crisis. were still right. low from the crash, <clears throat> and but rates were also really low. Now we're at the the point where rates have, to your point, high, they're high slash they've just kind of normalized, mm -hmm. and home prices are up like 30, 40 percent in the last couple of years. Right, it's a double edged sword for those trying to find a home. <clears throat> the only problem I have with this is that. If you own a home right now, we talk to our clients all the time, right? One of the questions we ask is, "What's your mortgage? What's your mortgage interest rate?" If you're and if if they say two point eight, all the way up to five point eight, mm -hmm. you just can't leave that <laughs> to go and get something for seven point, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, and also pay more for the next house you're going to buy. Right. It makes no sense, which will in turn show less houses for sale which in turn raises the price naturally of the houses because there's mm -hmm. less yeah. inventory. So it's like the the young folks, try, I, I do feel sorry for the young folks, especially trying to find homes for the first time. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to be in that stage where it was like the 80s and 90s where it was hard to get tough? that first yeah. home. I think this puts pressure on luxury homes much more than it puts pressure on first 
first-time home buyer homes. First-time home buyers, they're, they're going to figure out whatever way they can to go purchase a home. Their, their parents are going to give them a down payment or they're going to save up for several years to get into their first home. But if the monthly payment on these luxury homes, most people who are buying luxury homes already have a semi, either a starter home or an entry luxury home, they're not going to want to go take over a huge payment with a higher interest rate on a bigger, nicer property that's going to stretch them to a, to a large extent. Yeah. And I think one thing that's different than today versus like, you know, you look back at like 2008 and that kind of a housing crisis, that was nationwide. It was right. widespread. Right. There was no <laughs> hiding from it. There was really no markets that were protected against that. It was just a pure financial crisis across the board. Um, here, I could see, you know, with ri- rates rising, I could see it being more of like certain pockets and areas are affected more. Mm-hmm. Um you and know, we're seeing that. If your baseline was already at a premium, right, it's only getting harder and harder for people right. to move into that market. <laughs> and Versus right. if you have like a market like Northwest Arkansas, for a lot of people that live in other areas of the country that are moving here, which we have literally dozens of people every yeah. week moving here to Northwest Arkansas, uh, you know, our home prices still look relatively affordable to right. a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. And so um, even with the higher rates and those things, um, you know, I think the market in certain areas is going to hold up better. The supply is still going to be low, like you said, John. So that's going to keep prices, um, you know, steady, if not elevated. They just can't build them fast enough. And so, you know, it, only time will tell. But I think you're, if I were just guessing, like this is worst for your New York's, your San Francisco's, your downtown Chicago's, <clears throat> your areas that are one – not to make it political, are becoming less desirable places to live to right. begin with. Right. And two, they've been really freaking expensive for <sighs> a long time. Forever. And so yeah. if they go up at all with high rates, mm-hmm. like now your percentage of the population that can afford to live there is just less than it's ever been. And the other thing I think that, that you have to factor in is our what is our average income? Is it going up the same rate as – housing prices and interest rate. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's relative. If, if sure. you have a spread between what our income, so if we're making 3% increase in income per year average across the country, but inflation's at five and housing prices are going up at seven, it's going to be a problem mm-hmm. for a while until those things get in line with each other. And I think that's a area where I think you could see a housing issue for the next you know, it could not like 2008 financial crisis type of issue because that was more of a banking. That was that was you, you can read Boomerang or the Big Short and get all the answers on why that went wrong. And it right. really isn't the same, not even close to what we're going through now. Sure. Uh, this is more of an, a normal economic cycle accelerated because of the interest rates going up so fast. Yeah. Everything so was accelerated because of COVID. Exactly. So it's exactly. like things that were probably going to happen at some point, you know, um, there was either um, kerosene gas thrown right, on the fire right. and or things that, you know, maybe we were five or 10 years away from have been pulled forward and exactly. are happening, you know, or sh- will probably happen in the next couple of years. Which so. might make it choppy for the next couple of years, but then it's going to normalize out. Mm-hmm. It's, again, going back to the resiliency of the U.S. economy mm-hmm. and the U.S. worker and consumer. It's And it is all relative. I think this is not to get off this tangent. Well, we got one more topic we want to talk about, but... You know, everybody's really excited, which I get it. We we are too in certain ways of how you can finally make money on cash, right? You can go make four, four and a half, five, five and a half, right, six percent in some cases for the first time in ten years. Well, we also have inflation for the first time in ten years, right? right? And so right. your cash is 
still not really doing anything, mm-hmm. right? And so when it wasn't making anything and inflation was near zero, it's not all that different than today when inflation is higher and you're, you are making something. And so it, it does feel good, right? but from a mm. true net like um, perspective, like it's really not all that much better. I really thought you were going on a positive note. No, no, I'm staying. I'm on John's team. So. Last topic today we want to talk about is the um, – so one thing that Zillow – everyone knows Zillow, right? Everybody's got it on their – probably their app on their phone, mm-hmm. constantly checking right. what's the market doing. It's just – it's fun. People enjoy looking at real estate. And so one thing that Zillow is doing to combat what we were just talking about with the – you know, the how expensive home buying has become is there's this one – one percent down payment program. Um, so this is aimed at creditworthy home buyers who are struggling to save up for a down payment. As part of the new program, Zillow will only require qualified borrowers to put down one percent, with Zillow covering an additional two percent at closing. Um, according to Zillow, a buyer making eighty percent of the median income and saving five percent of their income would need thirty-one months to save enough for three percent down on a two hundred seventy-five thousand dollar home in Phoenix. Um, so. Under this program, you'd only need 11 months. So they're trying to accelerate that, um, you know, getting people in homes quicker and sooner that need to buy a home. So some might wonder about the risks to a lender when the buyer doesn't have to um, have much skin in the game with such a small down payment. Bazilla's economist had this response when asked about that question by CNBC. Look, 40% of first-time home buyers use gifts to purchase their home. And uh, historically, many first-time home buyers have had recourse to family funds. Uh, those with parents who own their homes or were able to extract home equity from their home are more likely to own. Home values are still rising. Mortgage delinquency rates are near an all-time low. And the credit scores of new home buyers are at the highest level uh, they've ever been. Uh, it's really for, you know, it's for people that are you know, a small number of buyers who might be well-qualified, uh, with high enough credit scores, and we may already be paying the monthly payment in rent, uh, but lack access to a down payment. So, guys, this is a pretty interesting program, right? Just I love it. Um, <clears throat> trying to help people. If if they stick to their guns on the, it's truly for really high quali- you know, highly qualified buyers. Mm-hmm. Then I think the risks with something like this could be managed. There's always going to be risks to mm-hmm. the lender, but. Arizona is a great state to start in. You know, they're doing it in Arizona. So we lived in Arizona for four months, my wife and I. It was it was a miserable. We went in. We, we moved in June 1st and left October 1st, and the temperature never went below 120. <laughs> and we had rattlesnakes in the yard and so on. It's not my favorite place. And, you know, and as my son said one night when we were leaving, he said, Dad, we looked out in the backyard in the desert, and he goes, Dad, everything in this state wants to kill us. <laughs> he was talking about the snakes and, the, you know, yeah. all that stuff. Anyway. It's a great place because Californians are are flocking into Arizona and the a demand for housing. And we know, Kathy and I know, because we were trying to find a house there. And that's why we left and came back. We couldn't find anything. And so it's a great state. But I, I, the only thing I, I laugh about a little bit in my head is like $275,000 house. They're saying here in Phoenix, good luck finding a $275,000 mm-hmm. yeah. house in Phoenix. You mean mobile home? <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. It's it's uh, You might find it in downtown Phoenix, but, you know, the desirable areas around Scottsdale and mm-hmm. Gilbert and on and on. Uh, but anyway, that's just an example in here, but I just laugh about it. Arizona's a great state for Zillow. I don't think their risk is that high. Yeah. yeah. It's highly qualified buyers. I, th- yeah. I think this is a, a rosy 
outlook that they're doing, 1% down with current mortgage rates is going to make monthly payments out the wazoo. Yeah. For, no for doubt. Any, no any, doubt. Anyone's yeah, only going to add to the down, last year. Yes. You put 1% down on a $275,000 house, well, your note may be $3,000 a month. You're the going banks a, love this. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but to their point, the with how high rent has become in certain markets, for those people who are relocating, yeah, right? I mean, you might be able to move from an L.A. or Chicago or somewhere elsewhere. Where you're renting. Where you're renting and, you know, use mm-hmm. this. And, and I'm not trying to justify it. I mean, I think... All but, these programs work great for Californians. <laughs> <laughs> they do. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because it's a completely different world in California, as we, you know, as we mm-hmm. know. Uh, but to your point, it's not like a financial sound advice. Only put 1% no. down. But I agree with you 100%. Rents are so high in certain areas that you, you can justify it in your mind because your payment might go down. For us in Northwest Arkansas, we might think that's crazy, but... I think it's going to affect a lot of people. And to Zillow's point, they're just trying to help people get in that may not otherwise be able to for a while. And I actually think it's going to work for them. I mean, I and, and banks will love it because they're going to lend 99% at a high interest rate. <laughs> yeah. So. And this is this goes back to the point of planning. I mean, you think of 1% on $275,000 house. And that's not a lot of money. No. You know? And I, no. I don't mean to belittle that. It is a lot of money for some people. But... Um, you would you would hope or think that someone trying to make the financial commitment, like buying a house, could plan enough in advance to to save more than that. Right. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it has to be you know fifty thousand. Right. But um, but anyways, I don't think it's bad. I think Zillow. Hopefully, they'll do a good job managing the risk and you know yeah. only offering it to the right people that are qualified. So any any parting thoughts? Good conversation today. Nothing. No, I am. I'm completely satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you're not out of words. You're never out of words. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, as always, we want to end with the thought of the day. This one's from Lou Holtz, good old Coach Holtz. Your talent determines what you can do. Your motivation determines how much you're willing to do. And your attitude determines how well you do it. As always, we appreciate you guys listening and watching the podcast. We look forward to you joining us next time on The Market Moment. reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC, Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Rogers, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Third-party ratings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client, nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss, including the loss of principal. Actual account results may have been higher or lower than the results mentioned, depending on an individual's investment timing, cash movement, size of the account, and client restriction. Past performance is not indicative of future results. For full disclosures, please see mock-1financial.com disclosures.